No, let's have an, an actual conversation, <laughs> like a podcast. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to the Real DMC Podcast. This week, DMC stands for Determined Madrid Cops, uh, because there are some cops that pursue some criminals very uh, doggedly throughout the film we're going to talk about today, which is The Hit. Are you really up to this? I ain't worried about me. Good. Don't worry about your boss. Filmed by Stephen Frears, and uh, it is our 1984 homework assignment. Colin made the ultimate choice for us to watch this film. I feel like you're blaming me. No, no. First question. <laughs> I was just going to throw it out there. Did, did we make a good choice here? I do. Uh, I like this movie a lot. I think I've actually seen it before. But yeah, I, thought it, I found it to be very entertaining. Yeah. Marcus? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good movie. I wouldn't say it's a great movie, but it was entertaining, and it was nice. What do you think, Dave? I liked it. I actually, I, I would say I really liked it from, I really enjoyed the performances. The plot is, um, it's a little thin overall. Uh, so it's, it's more about the characters and the performances, which I think are really strong. Uh, and I will say that, uh, Terrence Stamp, who is the main character in this is just awesome. He's, 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 it's a, it's a pretty incredible Terrence Stamp performance. I'll say hundred uh, percent agree with you. Yeah. So when you when you think about it, I'm just curious, what three words come to mind when I say the name Terrence Stamp? Neil before Zod. Okay, good. Just making sure that we're all on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was it was pretty cool to see him in this movie. He's uh, he's young and he is uh, he's playing a remarkably upbeat character for the situation that he's in. Which By is the way, he he's kind of really not that young. I mean, he's middle aged in this movie. He's well, full, okay, full gray. He, yeah, he looks okay. Uh, he looks youthful for his age, is what I would say. And he, I, he he's a great looking man. And he projects a lot of youthful energy throughout the movie, for sure. Yeah. Um, so directed by Stephen Frears, uh, stars Terrence Stamp, John Hurt, uh, Tim Roth, and Laura Del Sol. That's the main foursome throughout the movie. Colin, you said you maybe had seen it before. When we picked it, honestly, I I just looked at a plot summary and I thought it sounded interesting. Um, including the fact that they called out that the title music had been done by Eric Clapton. And, um, and then when I watched the movie, I thought, oh yeah, that's Eric Clapton. But I was getting all these notes of like Pink Floyd. And then later on, I found out it was also Roger Waters. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting. It was, um, that the, was the split, uh, was it the flamenco music versus the intro music that was different? Just the title. They just did the title music. That was yeah. it. It was okay. like, you know, this guitar music. Um, otherwise, the, the flamenco music was really, really great throughout the, the film. Literally just sounded like a good movie. was like a, like a British crime road trip with Terrence Stamp and John Hurt. I mean, you got to watch that, that, right? That's a good start. And then yeah. throw, t- throw Tim Roth in there as well. Yeah. And Marcus, how about you? Any any familiarity with this movie before we stumbled upon it? No, I didn't know anything about it. I knew the actors. I'll, I'll say I didn't. I didn't really. I didn't. Had never even heard of this movie until Colin brought it up. So, and I'm glad you did, Colin, because I actually think it was it was worth watching. So it's kind of a nice find. Um, how about uh, the director? So Stephen Frears. Yeah, I didn't recognize his name right off, but after looking him up, he directed High Fidelity, The Grifters, um, and probably his most famous is The Queen. Um, which he got nominated for. So just hearing the name, I didn't know who he was, but I've enjoyed uh, both High Fidelity and Grifters are both pretty good movies. How about you, Colin? Yeah, um, every time I I 
put on a movie and I see Stephen Frears as the director in the credits, uh, I'm always happy because he's a, he's a very good director. I've seen many of his films, um, but I specifically love uh, High Fidelity and Dangerous Liaisons. Those are just like two great, great movies. Not necessarily a director that I would say, okay, I got to go see the next Stephen Frears film. But um, the one, it was funny because the one that jumped out to me was the movie Hero with Dustin Hoffman. Did you guys ever see that? Oh, sounds wait, familiar. Wasn't um, Andy Garcia also in that? Yeah, Andy Garcia, Gina Davis. Um, and the only reason why that movie above others sticks out is because I was working at the Man National in college and uh, they had the premiere there. So Stephen Frears came in and all those, all the actors did too. So got to see Dustin Hoffman walk next, next to Chevy Chase and there was quite a height disparity. So that always stuck with me. <laughs> um, High Fidelity, by the way, I was going to say that's... Um, is that a movie that you guys, uh, is that a beloved film for you? Yes. Yeah. Uh, we own it and we'll, we will often just like pop it on like a Friday or Saturday night and, and watch it. It's really good. One of Cusack's best performances and it's got a lot of really good actors in it. Jack Black is quite good. He's total asshole. Yeah. I, I, I really like it a lot. Fond memories, but I haven't watched it that many times. So I was hoping to refresh on it. But. I remember The Grifters, wasn't that? The Grifters was a big movie for you back in the day, right? When we were younger, Mark? Yeah, I thought I liked that one too. It's Again, it's like one of those that you remember well, but you don't, not remember well, but you have a good memory of, but then you don't, haven't seen it in such a long time. You're like, uh, I think yeah, it was I remember good, Another Cusack film. Yeah. I remember not liking that movie at all, actually, The Grifters. Mm. I think, uh, I think um, both Annette Bening and Angelica Houston's performance kind of creeped me out a little bit. I confuse it with um, Bonfire of the Vanities for whatever reason. They both came out in the same year, similar posters, or I don't know what. That's what I think I've, I confuse High Fidelity with Empire Records. Uh, oh, not I, the same film. I know those are wildly different films, and, and I don't really... Well, I mean, I they take place in record stores. Yeah, but I, I don't have a... I don't think uh, Empire Records is that good of a movie, actually, so that's probably why I have avoided High Fidelity, or rewatching High Fidelity, just as a point of confusion. Uh, well, so High Fidelity is based on a Nick Hornby novel, and so I really like him as a, as a novelist who I've never read, but I, I like the adaptations <laughs> of his books. Um, He's one of your favorite novelists that you've never read a book of his. Yeah. yeah that's good. I, I only know him from the movies. Uh, well, maybe we can switch to the actors. So we can start with Terrence Stamp. Um, I also think about him, uh, The Limey is probably the movie that jumps to mind. And then a little randomly, just kind of funny, but I had forgotten that he was uh, John Tunstall in Young Guns. <laughs> so he's the one that brings the uh, the Young Guns together originally, and he's the one that they're out to avenge in that movie. I think that's kind of funny. It's funny. I have in my notes, General Zod, the Limey, just two sort of classic roles uh, for him, at least in my mind, uh, but also as uh, Sir Larry in Wall Street. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's in Wall Street. And um, The Limey, I absolutely love The Limey. It's like, one of my favorite Soderbergh films. I pretty much know him as just like General Zod and also Sir Larry from Wall Street. And I saw The Limey and I was like, wow, this guy's an amazing actor. I haven't seen The Limey. I want to see uh, have it on my to-watch list. Yeah, that, that's a great movie, actually. I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, how about uh, John Hurt? I recall one time he had some indigestion uh, that was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty bad that's what that's the thing i mean I, I i know that he's been obviously in a lot of stuff i colin it wouldn't surprise me maybe if the elephant man is your um association there but i kind of immediately think of him as alien and midnight express i guess those are the two movies that jump to mind when i think about john hurt did he star in midnight express 
He was the he was the second uh, kind of the second lead. Uh, okay, because I've never seen it. Heroin addicted guy who um, has a little bit more a little bit more of a mellow performance than the the main lead. You know, I, that's not necessarily a super uplifting movie, uh, but it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, actually, um, when I think of John Hurt, I mean, aside from Alien, the the thing that always sticks out in my mind is um, his role in Contact. Want to go for a ride? Yeah, I knew he was in Contact, but I was trying to remember who he was in Contact. Uh, was it yeah. S. R. Haddon? Yeah, the the billionaire. The billionaire. He's, on the, he's floating in space at the end. Yeah, right. Um, I, I I love that movie. I love his his role in it. A very small role, but he sort of steals it. And then yeah, the Elephant Man, which is you know one of my top fives for nineteen eighty. Hey, Mark, is there anything you want to throw out there in terms of John Hurt? Is that an actor that uh, that you enjoy? His greatest role was in uh, Spaceballs as John Hurt. That was great. I had totally <laughs> forgotten that, that that he was in that, basically playing himself, playing himself not himself, yeah. but playing that his role. Yeah, um, yeah. And um, I that is like one of the funniest scenes of all time when you know he he jumps on the the counter and the and the alien bursts out of his chest, yeah. and then all of a sudden it, there's a close up and it puts on a top hat <laughs> and, and starts, starts saying, "Hello, my <laughs> honey. Hello, my baby. Hello, my ragtime gal." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love I, that. I just I, I appreciated the humor and the willingness to come back and uh, and and play that part again. That 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 was pretty funny. That was uh, that That's was well good. done. <laughs> one, one one other thing about John Hurt, um, I I love his voice obviously because you know that that line in in Contact, um, but um, a UK paper um, described his described him as having the most distinctive voice in Britain, and likened it to quote. Nicotine sieved through dirty moonlit gravel. Wow, that's very poetic <laughs> and fairly accurate, actually. I say he's great for this role as a kind of grizzled mobster. Uh, so I thought he was a great fit. So the third uh, main actor in the film is Tim Roth, and uh, Tim Roth, you know, easy and quick and automatic association to Quentin Tarantino because of his roles in Pulp, Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs, for sure. Um, the only other movie, or the movie, the other movie that jumps out to me because I hated it with a passion was the movie Funny Games. Did you guys ever see that? No. No. Who who directed that? Um, I, I can't remember who directed it, but it was um, it was basically a shot for shot remake of an Australian film. It's about uh, home invasion robbery. These two teenagers show up in a house and, uh, and then basically just torture and, and kill the family. I'm not really even sure why I watched it, but based sounds, on the description, sounds like a lark. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's, it's disturbing and 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 really super annoying. So one of the worst movies, one of my most hated movies of all time, I would say. So not. And a strong, Tim Roth was in this. And Tim Roth was in it. Yep. Uh, so nope, not a strong recommendation for me on that one. So Tim Roth, you must have some thoughts, Colin. Honestly. He's just, yeah, it's just what you said. Um, he, I just completely associate him with Quentin Tarantino. Um, there's some some stuff, but nothing else really just gets me, like Reservoir Dogs and, and Pulp Fiction. Um, Is he the one that gets kind of almost cleaved in half by uh, Liam Neeson at the end of Rob, Rob Roy? Rob Roy, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, remember, I remember that's a good, that's a, right. that's a good sword strike on that on that movie. I, I <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that because I was like. I was thinking that the only other movie would be like Rob Roy, and I feel like something really bad happened to him in that. I mean, and that, that was it. it. I think that was it. 
Marcus, you have any uh, you have any Tim Roth thoughts? No. So Tim Roth was actually nominated. I think this is like pretty much the only major nomination that that this film received. Uh, he was nominated for a, a BAFTA award as best newcomer in this movie, which I think was you know pretty well earned. So do you think his character, Myron, does his character uh, survive and then eventually become the same criminal that shows up in Los Angeles as Pumpkin? Is that, is that uh, his, do uh, you think, is he the same guy? Yeah, I was going to say that it was pretty strong, pretty strong uh, similarities there. They actually, have, I mean, they, they did have a lot of similar character quirks, actually, in terms yeah. of, you know, the agitation, the level of energy. It was pretty funny. I mean, I, it was, you could make a case that, that that's true, actually. But, yeah, well, and they and they sounded alike too. Um, and they yeah, both I like, wonder. They both look like Tim Roth. <laughs> well, I wonder if Tarantino, you know, like liked this film and really, and that's where he sort of like pulled on Tim Roth um, from, you know, because obviously he worked with him before in Reservoir Dogs, but maybe he was thinking like, oh, I want that guy, and then oh, maybe if we can do in Pulp Fiction, have the character be basically the same guy, but obviously like he had survived. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. How about I'll I'll, I'll try a quick high level summary, and then we can see just so we then we can just move on. Sure. Good. Okay. So, uh, film opens. There's a funeral that's going on in Spain. Um, that's the <laughs> wow. That's really high level, Dave. <laughs> just hold on. Just we <laughs> just calm down. Um, so uh, then it cuts to. Uh, <laughs> It cuts to Terrence Stamp. boy kicks the dirt as he's walking in the procession. <laughs> There's a small bird that flies from the left, screen, left side of the screen to the right side of the screen. An old woman wails. <laughs> and somewhere in the distance, a cat sits quietly. <laughs> so, Terrence Stamp plays Willie Parker. He is uh, part of a bank heist that... Uh, goes wrong which you see off screen and it ends up that he chooses to testify against his um colleagues that are involved in the bank heist including a bad guy or the, the lead bad guy named mr corrigan who looks a lot like ray orbison i i'll throw that out there they just show him quickly but um he definitely looks like a, a 70s british rock star so he has he has an interesting look um but anyway so so what Willie? So Willie ends up uh, rolling over on those guys, and in exchange for that, he's granted immunity. He goes to Spain and is hiding and is in hiding uh, until Mr. Corrigan sends two guys to bring him back, basically to execute him. Uh, ten years later. Ten years later, yeah. So that's so he he's able to get ten years out of his uh, immunity before uh, Tim Roth and John Hurt uh, playing. So John Hurt plays Mr. Braddock. Tim Roth pl- plays Myron. Uh, they show up and basically kidnap Terrence Stamp. And at that point, they are then driving him from uh, Madrid or from, I'm sorry, sorry, somewhere out in Spain. They do go through Madrid at one point. But um, they stop uh, at one point at what they think is a safe house. They discover somebody there who they were not anticipating. So in that case, it's, um, what's that guy's name again? Harry. Guy named Harry. And he has a girlfriend with him. They end up kidnapping the girlfriend and bringing her with them. And then basically uh, they never quite make it to Paris because Mr. Braddock decides to uh, end up shooting uh, Myron and Willie and he ends up letting the girl go. And then because of that, he himself is actually then later not apprehended by the Spanish police, but more like shot a hundred times by the Spanish police. Uh, And that's how the movie ends. So, okay, great podcast. <laughs> Spoiler. There you, go. <laughs> there you go. 
So I don't think that was I don't think that was a wasn't quite as deep as starting with the funeral scene, but uh, that is the basic outline of the plot. So it's not um, certainly this movie is not uh, very plot heavy. It's more about the characters and the characterizations and the and their evolution as they go through this journey together. Uh, so it's kind of a combo crime drama slash road film is what I would say. Yeah, that was really Willie's transformation, Terrence Stamp's character. Um, like when he's on the stand testifying, he has this kind of kind of a doofus uh, attitude. He's like giving his testimony. He's like looking to the the how people are responding to it. And he just seems like he's kind of excited. He's like performing on the stand and people are like, he's like, hey, people are listening to me. He like gets more animated and excited as he's testifying. It's just kind of a weird... Yeah, he had he had a very very strange positive energy when he was standing in the witness box. Yeah, exactly. Like and it, it wasn't like uh, in control. He just seemed kind of like a, a doofus of sorts. Like testifying, he's like, "Hey, I'm testifying," and hey, like I don't know. It just seemed like I, a very. I, I I don't I don't not in a bad way. I'm I don't just saying think like he, was, he 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 didn't no 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 no. But he didn't come off at least to me like a doofus. But it was almost like you say like positive energy and stuff. It's almost like. If uh, it were like Tom Hanks in his role as Rick Gasco from Bachelor Party testifying against a bunch of gangsters, I mean, he was almost like like I have zero fucks to give, you know? Yeah, like, he's, he's super flippant, actually. Yeah, and uh, so and it's interesting because I mean, a lot of this movie is about meditation upon death. I would say there's there's a lot of that that's going on throughout it. So so there's an intro scene when they're getting ready to do the heist, and he's sitting there reading a book. And one of the other the gangsters comes over and knocks the book off the table as he's reading it. So I was trying to figure out, like, why did he... <laughs> no, you're totally wrong. What? what? What do you mean? It wasn't an intro to the heist. It was... he. That was... He was in, under police protective custody. And those are the cops who were... They were at a safe house. Oh, and they okay. were... That was, like, right the morning before going to uh, court. Court? Yeah. Oh, I thought, I thought they were actually... I, I thought they showed... They were using that to set up the heist, actually. So... Okay, missed that one. Because <laughs> uh, I was gonna, I was gonna ask him why did he roll. Uh, that was one of my questions. Like, why did he decide to testify against uh, everybody else who was on the heist? Well, he he said it later on. He was just got tired of uh, what is it? Tired of the Nick? Uh, yeah, was that the? Uh, he, he just got tired of being a criminal. I think he yeah. just wanted to, like, he wanted like a vacation, and and you know they came up with this deal, and he was like, "Fuck, it's too." too good to pass up and so yeah he knew like if he ever got caught by those guys um he was gonna die um but he was just like fuck it uh, i'm just gonna roll over on these guys i don't care yeah and why why do you think that they made um, a big deal about asking him the question around you know did you receive any immunity treatment as part of your testimony today and he answers no to that when of course he actually did yeah i thought that was strange because he mentions it later yeah I think it's prosecutorial malfeasance. You think so? Yeah. Retrial. As I say, like, yeah, I thought his transformation from when, then when he, you next see him in Spain and he has all the books and he talks about, like, he just becomes a, a more of a Zen at peace with the world uh, and life as he, he was living down there. It's definitely a great, like, you notice it too as soon as you like, kind of see him. He's like, always wearing white and he's always just has like slippers on or he's just like relaxed and like totally at ease there just riding his bike yeah. through town and yeah that, that's that's exactly what i had like in my notes i wrote that he is super relaxed he's just like 
he seems, especially, and this is like after he gets kidnapped, he's, um, he's super relaxed. He seems unconcerned, almost amused, like he's just along for the ride. And the fact that he's like, you know, wearing sort of that, um, that traditional, um, you know, white clothing, the white shirt, the white, like the sort of linen shirt and the, and the pants. And, you know, he's just got like, he doesn't have a care in the world. He has and a he's monk, acting like it. He has a monk-like calmness about him, actually. Yeah. I really loved how when he finishes testifying and then all the, the guys who he's, who he's testified against, they stand up and use, they start singing. Um, we'll see. We'll, uh, we'll meet again. We'll, we'll meet again. Yeah, we'll meet again. I just thought that was fantastic. It was really good. I thought they were actually singing it in the courtroom and I'm like, why isn't the judge stopping this? I don't think they were. I think because later on you see like a lot of people in the courtroom like throwing stuff and yelling and screaming. You don't really hear that. Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, obviously the, the, the sentiment is what it's all about. It's like, <laughs> you think you're getting off here, buddy, but uh, uh-uh. yeah, we're, we're, we're coming for you. Yeah. It's at the stage very well. And I thought they, uh, they did that nicely. Yeah, so then from there, it does. you see the, the title card 10 years later, and you cut to Terrence Stamp, who is living in Spain. Um, and then, so a group of guys break into his house, and I thought that was a pretty funny fight sequence. <laughs> it was hilarious. I mean, it was. Uh, th- there is one moment where uh, I did think about General Zod, because there are four guys that are running up the stairs, and he somehow managed to push all of them back down the stairs at one point, but then he's throwing books and just randomly throwing papers. It looks like... Uh, sort of a fight you'd see in junior high school or something like that. That's they, what I was thinking. These guys are like bumbling idiots. Yeah. I think they, they like brought all this like really thick rope and uh and a burlap sack as a hood. And they're yeah. just like thinking like, oh we're gonna get you with like all the only weapon we have is like this like pocket knife. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was a it was a strange uh, like who hired these guys? But but he kind of goes peacefully at the end, right? They they get him on the roof and get him cornered, and then he just sort of accepts his fate at that point. He knows what's coming. Um, uh, but also, I'm just thinking, like, how lucky are these guys? Because he's got a police bodyguard who has a gun, and, like, the one day where the bodyguard's bike chain, you know, breaks, and, and uh, Willie takes off and goes out on his own back home, that's the same day that, that they come to kidnap him. It was. Con- they got really lucky. It was convenient. Those guys were quite funny. It and is. They, they, and they, they get theirs. Yeah. So, uh, so Willie is delivered to Mr. Braddock and Myron. And in exchange for their services, the group of people that kidnap uh, Willie are given a bomb in a suitcase that explodes and kills almost all of them except for one guy who was outside the car who becomes a witness. And so now you have the trail of Juan getting the policeman getting run over and this car bomb. And that's what puts the police uh, on the trail of these guys. Um, They end up, so at this point it's Willie and Mr. Braddock and Myron and they're traveling along and they decide to go to a safe house in Madrid. And that's where they unexpectedly encounter, what the hell is his name again? (laughs) Harry. Harry. And Harry, Harry, the Australian. Harry the Australian, who is uh, making himself quite comfortable at the safe house, drinking all their beer and spending time with a woman who he uh, believes is 15 or 16 and actually brags about that fact uh, to the other guys who show up. So Does, Doesn't hold up. <laughs> she doesn't look like she's 15 or 16. She's right? not 15 or 16. <laughs> no. So, uh, 
And uh, that, that scene is kind of fun because there's definite tension that Harry is there to begin with. Uh, they, they, they realize, or what they discuss is that, and that there's a newspaper that actually shows a picture of Terrence Stamp in the newspaper, and apparently they're advertising for a reward. And so uh, there's lots of tension. You're not sure you know, which way it's going to go because uh, Myron and Mr. Braddock are there. They're sort of agitated that Harry's there. There's one kind of fun scene where they go out, uh, or Mr. Braddock takes Harry out on the balcony. And I, I for sure thought they were going to chuck him off the balcony. Did you guys think that? Oh, yeah. I, I, I think that's what they wanted him to think as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, John Hurt's looking down and, you know, sort of indicating that that's where he could go. But then they make a decision to, uh, to leave initially without killing him. Yeah. I, they, I, <laughs> I, I really like this, this whole scene because, um, Harry, I think is, it's a pretty, you're right. It's tense, but it's also a pretty funny scene. Yeah. Because Harry is just like, he nonstop talking. He's so nervous that he just can't stop himself from talking. And, um, and then Willie is sitting there sort of like making life hard for everyone by pointing out like, um, uh, his own name, like who he is, right? Yeah. So, you know, to because it you could have played this like really on the down low, like, oh, hey, sorry, I know I wasn't supposed to be here. I'm not sure what you guys are doing here, but I know some crazy stuff is going down. So, you know, maybe I'll just like stop talking and maybe like leave, and I can get out of this situation. But Harry keeps talking, and then you know, like Willie is like, oh, let's let him in on what's going on here. And, and they just keep getting deeper and deeper and Braddock is not amused and Myron keeps like, <laughs> Myron is hilarious. Oh, he's so great. <laughs> but he's like, cause he's basically like, oh, this is his first, uh, his first hit. Like he's basically his, uh, assistant. He's learning he's, the job, like learning little, the ropes. He's a little giddy throughout the whole thing. Yeah, actually. he's super he's, excited for it. He's excited, yeah. and he keeps doing all the wrong things, like oh, saying Braddock's name in front of the in front of everyone. <laughs> yeah, Willie plays like a foil at every every chance he gets. He's like trying to just mess it up, just by calling out his name or like suggesting, oh, maybe we should do this. Oh, he can't go there, and like he he's constantly trying to like foil Braddock's plans and just kind of gunk up all the works and then yeah also in having like sort of side conversations with myron yeah. sort of seeding all these doubts into myron's um head yeah. about you know oh is braddock making the right decisions uh, like i don't know i don't know if this is gonna turn out well to me one thing that's really interesting about this movie is each of the characters are it's sort of they they actually end up being a little counter to how they are projecting themselves Right, because jump to the end or step on the end, but uh, you know, Terrence Stamp is this, or Willie is this, sort of Zen makes many speeches about accepting death, uh, but at the very end when he's facing it, he definitely loses his cool. Right, so he's not he's not actually truly ready to die. Yeah. Um, Mr. Braddock is supposed to be this cold, calculating assassin, uh, and and he makes several decisions along the way. The most notable one is he chooses not to kill uh, the Maggie. And in doing so, he basically seals his own fate. So he kind of wimps out as this, you know, dark assassin because he just makes a decision not to kill this woman. Um, and then Myron's sort of interesting because he is supposed to be this, 
you know, wild card or he wants to get into the business of being this hitman. And then when he is, when it comes down to it and they're going to kill uh, Myron and, or I'm sorry, Willie and uh, Maggie, he basically, you know, he wimps out and he can't do it. So, and he asks for uh, Mr. Braddock to do it. So that, that I thought was fun. Like all character, you know, each of those characters kind of, uh, they, they stay on type a little bit, but they also go kind of counter to what they're projecting at some point during the movie. Yeah, I, I think that's really insightful. But anyway, it's kind of, I guess, jumping back to that scene in the apartment, it's definitely, I mean, it, it's critical for uh, the entire rest of the movie because it's really, this movie's about Maggie. Maggie's the one that screws up the whole plan is really what it comes down to. Uh, and as so initially, they make a decision that they're going to, they, they're going to kidnap Maggie, but they're going to leave. Um, shit, why can't I remember this goddamn guy's name? Harry. Harry, Harry thank you, Harry. Uh, they're going to leave Harry alive um, and... But she's then, insurance. Uh, yeah. yeah, she's insurance with the idea of keeping Harry quiet. Uh, but of course, then Mr. Braddock goes back upstairs and Harry's already on the phone to the police trying to get the reward. But by, by the way, I think that um, Willie really made a mistake there because, you know, he is being very like flip. And when Braddock gets into the car and they're about to leave the apartment building, you know, yep. he makes another comment about, you know, ooh, like, will he, is it true love? You know, yeah. like, oh, is he gonna? Is he gonna go for um, the reward or something? Yeah, right? yeah. And that gives Braddock pause, and then he goes back up to the apartment, and he finds that yeah, he's he's gonna he's about to rat them out. That's why I think like Willie was trying to. I think he was just being a kind of a foil, just to be a foil. Like he just trying to like mess things up without any real plan yeah, to it. He's like a, that, he's an, an agent of chaos. Yeah, yeah. Except that you know that ended up. Uh, costing like somebody else their life, yeah, and so and it didn't really help him out at all. But I I, I did love that scene when he goes back up there because it, that at that point it gets very tense, and you know Braddock says let's watch the game right, and then the uh, Frears like does a close up of on Harry sitting in his chair and you see Braddock sort of like move behind him and you're thinking like, oh, he's going to get like, you know, one in the back of the head right now. And then he like moves away. So he's not behind him and you don't see him anymore, but you're still just so it's very tense and just thinking like he's going to get shot. And then you hear something and it's not the click of a, a gun cocking. It's the click of a lighter. Yeah, and and he and he, and then they cut over to Braddock, and he's sitting down on the couch, and he's like lighting a cigarette, and he think, oh, maybe Harry's okay. Yeah, yeah, that that was I, the the click of the lighter. I thought was really that was that was a cool touch in the movie because it, it definitely, you know, I wasn't when I first heard it, I wasn't sure was it a you know a lighter or the gun, and it was a it, you know gave a little like okay here it comes because I was expecting I was just expecting Harry's had to erupt you know, yeah. as he was sitting in his chair. Yeah. But, I recognize yeah. the Zippo right away. <laughs> the sound of the Zippo? Of course. You're, you're, you're trained on the Zippo sound? So you were not fooled? No. Speaking of which, uh, I, I just want to give a shout out to the Foley artists uh, on this movie. You just, they don't make movies like this anymore where you really hear like the sounds of like, of uh, like the footfalls um, when someone's walking and you really hear it 
they they don't do that anymore in movies. So it's, I think they do a lot of more of like the sort of the, the natural sound. Um, but you hear like these loud footsteps or like crunches of, of yeah. uh, like gravel. boots on gravel. Yeah. And this, it, it really sticks out in this film and I love it. I don't know. It just, it, I've always really loved those sounds. One, one plot question I had as I was watching it is, so uh, if, if he kills Harry at that point, why even bother, you know, keeping Maggie? Why not just walk her back up to the apartment and shoot her too? Well, I mean, they basically, they jump in the car and they drive yeah. off to uh, like a quarry and then he's going to kill her. And I'm like, yeah, oh, I yeah. think, I think the idea there was he just, they had to leave because he just killed someone. So they had to get out of there pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. That, that, she was already a, downstairs. and That does make sense. I, I've heard that you don't want to linger around the area when you kill somebody. Yeah. You want to take off quickly. Yeah. The next scene was them at the quarry and he's about to, uh, about to kill her. And that's another example of where Braddock actually um, makes the, that's his first uh, decision not to, or he makes the choice not to shoot her. And I, I think it's, um, who, who is it? Is it Myron? Is Myron advocating for Maggie at that point? Yeah. He is, right? Like he, he's yeah. trying to say like, you, you, sh- you shouldn't do this. Uh, Maggie had a, you know, got, got so scared she had an accident. Uh, so they need to stop for some clothes. And there's a pretty funny scene of Tim Roth <laughs> pushing some shopping carts and running and jumping on them. Like, uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's a great little moment because it just, it's, it, it just communicates so much about his character when he, when he does that, he's yes. writing it across. Like he's a, you know, like a 13 year old kid. Yeah. He, he, it's like, he wants to be a tough guy, but he just is not there yet. He's no. like, he's got a lot of immaturity in him. Yeah. He also, you know, like, so you've just killed someone. You almost killed this, this, this woman you're in the car and she's like, you know, like, oh, I had an accident. I need some. He's like, let's go shopping. You know, like, um, <laughs> he's not very good at this. Well, yeah. well that, not only that. So, but after they go shopping, then they're in the car and Myron says, I could really use a beer. And somehow Mr. Braddock, this, you know, cold calculating assassin agrees. He's like, yeah, okay, sure. We can go get a beer somewhere. Yeah, that's yeah. a huge mistake. I Just, don't know why they would do that. He yeah. just keeps making mistake after mistake here. He does. Yeah. And that's that's why I mean counter to this, you know, like he's on top of everything and making the right decisions as this, you know, brutal assassin. That's Not also so how the police were like closing in because each one of these, like the uh, when they went to get the beer, he gets in a fight with all the uh, all the people at that restaurant. So the police come to that scene. So the police come, end up following this trail that they leave of uh, kind of destruction as they're going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a, lot of, a lot of it's Myron, but some of it. Is Braddock, uh, too. is Braddock too? Yeah, yeah. yeah the uh, the bar scene was fun because there's a sequence where Tim Roth is standing there, and there are four guys who he knows he can't understand what they're saying because they're speaking in Spanish, uh, but he knows they're making fun of him. And so as he's standing there at the counter getting his beers, you see him pull these different <laughs> weapons out of his pocket and begin <laughs> to get organized because he knows he's going to turn around and attack four guys, and that's exactly what he does. And he ends up trashing the bar, and then. You know, basically comes running out of the bar with the uh, the bar owner behind him with a gun and uh, or a stick or something like that, and then they all jump in the car and, and take off. Uh, I, but I, thought I believe he had a cudgel. We had a hiss. Yeah, a cudgel. Okay, it was a cudgel. Uh, but that that scene was <laughs> fun. It was fun to see Myron just getting ready. I liked it. <laughs> I know yeah, he's like uh, he's like wrapping like a like a like a bicycle chain, right? chain around yeah. his hand. Yeah. And yeah. He's like, got like a <laughs> a poker or something like that. Yeah, I know. yeah. They he showed had, his he had some interesting, interesting weapons. Yeah, they showed his jacket on. Um, like Willie asked him later when they're at the waterfall, 
He's like, oh, let me see what you got in there. So he like opens up his jacket and he's like, he's like data from Goonies. He's got all these things hidden inside of his jacket. Like he's pulling out <laughs> guns and knives and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, and he yeah, pulls out his, his, uh, his blackjack. I, don't, I forgot what they called it in the movie. But yeah, he's know, like, uh, uh, Willie asked to see it. And, um, and he's like, he's like, oh yeah. Like a club. Uh, yeah, it's filled with, it's leather. It's like filled with sand. He's like, oh, I made this in like a wood shop or something like, you yeah. know, in school. Had this in had seventh it. grade. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> well, you're using that a lot of fellow seventh graders. I, I'd imagine that that might earn you some detention. Now he was proud. It's, of it's, he was proud he had it for a long time and he's used it a bunch. He's like, yeah, this got me, me, me and this club have gone been through a lot. <laughs> But it's so funny because it's like, yeah, Myron is like literally, he's like a small time thug who like wants to graduate to, you know, the big time, but yeah. he's clearly not ready. No, he's definitely yep. not. He's a little, little too immature to be a uh, polished hitman. They actually, so after they leave the bar, um, so Braddock takes Maggie and the two of them go to a gas station while uh, Myron and Willie are staying near a river. When Myron and I'm sorry, when Mr. Braddock goes to the gas station and has Maggie with him, uh, Maggie alerts the attendant that uh, that she's being kidnapped, and he runs. The attendant runs back into the gas station, at which point Braddock goes out and shoots the guy in the head, and then takes a couple extra seconds to try and make it appear as if it's a robbery. So he steals some money out of the cash register, spreads it around, fires a few more shots uh, into the windows and stuff. Wasn't really sure why he did that, I guess, just to, as a, maybe like a scene of robbery chaos is what he was going for there. I think so. Yeah. Um, but it, it definitely, it, it's one more, one more scene that, uh, so the, the span, the police do show up and I, did you guys, I thought it was interesting. They, the inspector, like the lead inspector, they seem to linger on him looking at the body of the gas station attendant. Very, it, they feel like they gave it a couple extra seconds and I wasn't quite sure why that was i i think it was to sort of like humanize him a little bit more or just make him make it seem like you know hey you know this this basically like 18 19 year old kid like died at the hands of this professional assassin for nothing you know just to cover their tracks um it's kind of like the uh the the vincent hannah scene in um in heat where he uh they find the the prostitute's body like wayne grow had killed and uh and then the mother comes and and he like like you know holds her it like humanizes hannah a lot more i don't know why i thought of that but it's, it's also it all it all goes back to heat it's also not the strongest uh plot line in heat i would say the wayne grow no it's not yeah, it's that's not the, yeah but, um, you know it was supposed to be like a television series originally and i will say that the, the braddock maggie relationship <laughs> the, 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 we'll, we'll get off heat we'll get off heat. <laughs> save it save it for 95 the the braddock maggie relationship in this movie i think is interesting because there there's a scene earlier in the movie where maggie's in the back seat and uh mr braddock goes to grab her and she starts biting his hand and he doesn't pull his hand away he just lets her sit there and just you know, bite into it as hard as she possibly can. What was your, what was your take on that scene? I, I think it was, it was a battle of wills and he was not going to, he, he, he didn't care if she was going to bite his hand, he was not going to pull away. It was like, who could last longer? Yeah. And you know, he was asserting his power and, and dominance over her. Uh, but there's a couple of scenes 
Yeah. Where they have these well, she scratches physical up his, altercations. Right? Yeah, she right. scratches up his face. She yeah. scratches his face. They have this fight, you know, before they leave um, the gas station after after he killed the attendant. You know, she she gets out of the car. She, like, uh, escapes from the car. And she's sort of, like, crawling on the ground. And they have this great overhead shot yeah. of the car and then the two of them yeah. fighting. At that point, he tries to shoot her, but he's out of bullets. He, yep, yeah, he was going to kill her right there. She scratches his face, he's, and he's, yeah. he's left with these, you know, pretty gnarly scratches across his cheek. She grabs his balls and crushes him. He looks like he's in so much pain. He does. That she gets him good on that one. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was interesting that Maggie was like the only one really fighting for, uh, for like almost anything. Like Braddock was, like Willie was just accepted his fate that he's going to be driven up to Paris and get killed. And then Braddock kind of accepted his fate that he's like, okay, this is it. I'm just this old mobster doing what I have to do to get by. And Maggie's the only one kind of fighting for kind of survival and something. And, and that's interesting because when, like, just after this, where uh, Willie and Braddock are talking in the forest, you know, he, he sort of says, that, you know, like, uh, death, you know, it's just, uh, it's just part of the cycle, yeah. you know. And then, but, you know, so he's accepted his fate. But then he he's like walking away. He says, you know, like, but I don't think she has. You know, like she's not ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a, that is, that is interesting because that's a uh, that's a great point of comparison in terms of how he's not fighting at all and she's fighting every chance she gets. Uh, and at one point, actually, uh, she asks him to help her, or and and he just kind of flatly refuses in the car. Yeah. he just sort of is like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm just you know, he's. He's just riding it out. He's riding, uh, riding to his death, and it's just. And he's actively in helping. Like the the car breaks down, and he fixes yeah. the engine. Yeah, he fixes he fixes the car. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He explains it so, at one point. Of um, he explains that it's. He's like, oh, the, you know, time's caught up with me, and he's like, I've read a lot, and I've kind of grown to accept. And if it's not you at this point, it's going to be someone else at another point, or it's just going to be, you know, it'll be my time when it's my time. He ends up accepting it more than uh, trying to yeah, find he, it. He's had 10 years to meditate on this. And during that time, you know, like, yeah, he came to accept it. After Braddock gets back from the gas station run, he comes back to where Myron and Willie are. And Myron. Myron has fallen asleep with a gun on his chest. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, and so, and so way, obviously. Way to Willie, guard the prisoner. Right? So Will, Willie has every opportunity in the world if he wants to, to make a run for it. And you see Mr. Braddock is agitated by this. And he goes down to the river and where there's a waterfall. And he just finds Willie standing there, just looking at the waterfall. And that was, that was my favorite scene in the entire movie, actually, was the interaction between the two of them at that point. Because... Uh, Mr. Braddock comes up behind him. He pulls out his gun. You kind of get the sense that after the gas station situation, Braddock has just had it and he just wants to get this thing over with. And so, and the fact that Willie at that point probably knows he's there and he's standing with his back turned. And then there's this great moment where uh, when Willie turns around and you see his face kind of shift to a moment of like a little wave of disappointment passes across it. Because what I was thinking is that Willie was there and he was looking at this beautiful waterfall and he thought, well, if I'm going to die, you know, it's not a bad place to go. And so I, I think he was actually disappointed that they kept going on their journey at that point. That's That was my take on it. Interesting. I was going to ask you what you thought was going through his mind because they lingered on his face. And I was just trying to figure out what's he thinking right now? Yeah, I, I think he, the fact that he didn't run when he had the chance when Myron fell asleep 
just I think on some level I think he wanted to die and then well, I think at that point if he's looking at a beautiful waterfall not a bad place to go out if you're gonna yeah and right I thought it was very in character for him to just be there at the waterfall like you know checking out the natural beauty and not not trying to escape yeah so then they end up uh, they all jump back in the car they're gonna keep going with their journey uh, and then. I'm trying to. Why is it that they they're gonna they're gonna get off the road presumably to wait until darkness to try and cross over into France? That's the the way that it's positioned initially. However, oh, and, and actually, so so one very important thing that happens, uh, Mr. Braddock is is at one point going to uh, kill Maggie when they're down at the river. Again, I think he's just kind of had his he's he's sort of done with this. He just wants it to be over. And Myron actually grabs his own gun and threatens Mr. Braddock. And at that point, is in the movie when you're watching it, you know that Myron's fate is sealed because Myron's you, not very bright. You don't you don't threaten you don't threaten you know assassins and probably stay around too long after doing so. So yeah, I thought that 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 interaction between the two of them I thought was kind of interesting because uh, you know John Hurt just gives him his own gun. He, you know, wants to hand it to him, and then and then Myron kind of realizes his mistake, and he's actively trying to give the gun back to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, sorry, man. So, no. But at that point, no, no take backs. You're screwed, dude. Sorry. I, I think at that point, again, I don't think Myron's too bright. He should have just been like, "I better get the fuck out of here," because I I've 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 basically failed the audition. And he's going to put a bullet in my head. Right. Although he, he does at one point still ask if he's going to get the thousand. Right. That's like he's really obtuse. <laughs> yeah, he's not he's not a smart guy. <laughs> and at that point, you know, Braddock uh decides that it, he he really has he he is done with it. So he um very unceremoniously ends up shooting Willie, is what I would say, because at that at that point, it, Willie's not expecting it and what Willie says is you're supposed to take me to Paris. I want to get to Paris. So I wasn't sure if uh in Willie's mind at that point, it was he was accepting of his death, but he had the he had the journey of how that was going to play out in his head, and so he he was okay with dying, but he just didn't want to do it. It wasn't he wasn't completing the journey, or if he really just sort of had a last minute sort of uh, reaction to the fact that he's going to die, and he was not as zen as uh, you as he was projecting. Like he had accepted his fate. That's going to be tomorrow. Yeah, but it's always that's tomorrow. That's not right now. And so then right. when it became right now. He realized he wasn't, not necessarily realized, but he reacted to it. He's like, oh, maybe I'm not as zen and I'm not really as accepting as this as I thought I was. Like he had this thought in his mind, this plan of how it was going to end, right? But they hadn't gotten there yet. And so he was, I think he needed to really sort of prepare himself like right before the end. Like he knew, okay, I'm going to go meet with Corrigan and they're going to kill me. And at that point, you know, like I will steal myself and because I know it's it's going to be hard. But all of a sudden he, you know, Braddock just springs it on him and he has not prepared himself. Yeah, he's not prepared. And that's that's why wrapping it back to the the waterfall. I thought the waterfall uh, where he's standing in front of the waterfall in because if he goes back to Corrigan, I, I'd imagine his death is not going to be terribly comfortable. Right. If he ratted all these guys out, it's probably going to be a pretty horrific drawn out death i would think and so versus standing there at the waterfall and maybe getting one in the back of the head that seems like a better way to go so yeah yeah yeah. i didn't think he expected to go at the waterfall just appreciating like oh i only have a few you know this might be my last day i only have another day left so let's appreciate this waterfall for what it is now 
and then tomorrow I'll, you know, I'll end up dying. But yeah, that would that would work too. Yeah, that was kind of my take. I didn't just from not necessarily in that moment I thought that, but then after the next scene and thinking back about it, because the next scene when he was like, "Oh, I'm not ready to die yet. It's supposed to be tomorrow. It's supposed to be tomorrow." Um, made me think like, okay, he wasn't quite as prepared. Yeah. The other thought was like, I think the pretty obvious one, which is like, you're, you're just thinking like, oh, I, I've prepared myself for this. Yeah. And then you know, it's happens. not going to be a big deal. And then when the, when it comes down to it, you're, you do what everyone else does. You freak out because it's, you're going to die. Yep. And then Braddock, uh, also shoots Myron at that point. Poor Myron. So Myron gets one right in. Right Myron's still not, even with a gun pointed at him, still not quite grasping the situation. <laughs> no. And not uh, until he, the bullet goes through his eye that he does kind of realize. <laughs> exactly. But, but the last thing that went through his mind before the bullet was uh, not that I'm in trouble. It was about something else. He's, he's thinking, thinking about, about that $1,000. Yeah, he's thinking about that $1,000 he's going to get. Um, yeah, so then, and then Braddock chooses, again, makes a choice not to kill Maggie. This is the, I guess he did, did try to kill her one time, but didn't follow through at the gas station. But two other times, he had the option to do it, and he backed off and chose not to. Yeah, this last one, I didn't quite understand why he, after the gas station, he like ran out of bullets. So obviously, he reloaded his gun at some point. So I'm not sure quite why he didn't just finish her there. I, I, all I can think is that he's like, I, two times I was going to kill you, and I didn't. So I got to be consistent here. Like, why am I going to kill you now? And you're not going to do anything. Um, you know, you're, I've beaten you up. I'm leaving you at the top of this mountain. No one's going to f- find you by the time I make it over the border. You know, like. But <laughs> as luck would have it, they're out searching for him, and the helicopter stumbles upon them. Well, that's what I mean. I think the police are pretty effective in this movie. They, they seem to be right on the trail the entire time. Well, they were leaving a pretty big breadcrumbs. They they were actually, yeah. This this was not a uh, this, this was not a stealth operation when you were going through Spain for sure. Yeah. Also, I I just maybe this is like unanswerable questions, but how exactly was he planning to get across the border with with Willie, even with her? Like, I mean, she he was going to have to kill her before the border, right? Because there's no way he could have smuggled her across. Well, but even would, with, but even with Willie. Well, I was thinking if he had the gear, because uh, so what? after he kills Myron and Willie, he pulls a backpack and an entire change of clothes out of the trunk of the car that uh, to, to basically adopt the look of, you know, a, a, a hiker, local, backpack, yeah. or local, something like that. And um, so I was thinking, well, if he had that stashed away, then wasn't that the plan the whole time, actually? Like he was not going to take him to Paris? I can, no, but it doesn't make sense to go all that way. And it, like, why not just kill him like near Madrid. Maybe it was just contingency plan. Yeah, we can, we can accept that. Yeah. So he tries to, uh, wearing his locals outfit, he tries to sneak across the border. Unfortunately for him, Maggie is standing there at the checkpoint with the police and she points him out. Um, at which point he, they yell to try to capture him and he runs into what is apparently the largest lamp factory in all of Spain. <laughs> He's no, he goes into lamps plus. <laughs> lamps plus. Uh, Lamps plus uh, Pyrenees. I, I would assume as a small town has a tremendous uh, lamp lamp business going on. So it's a very big factory. And uh, when the police go in, uh, they, they don't really try to detain him. They just basically all pull out machine guns and probably put about 40 or 50 rounds into him. Probably need to retrain those uh, police officers. <laughs> They're I a mean, little, little quick on the trigger there. Uh, yeah, you got an unarmed criminal. You've got like the two... like main police detectives there 
who say, like, don't shoot, and they just fucking lay into him with their right. machine guns. Well, and, and so as he's laying there, as his, as his bullet-ridden, riddled body is, uh, as he's, you know, fading from consciousness, he then ends up winking at Maggie. That's just weird, I thought. I think it's just like an acknowledgement that you, you know, like you bested us. Like that was in this struggle between Braddock and Maggie, she won. Was that really what this movie is about? If you think about it, is it a battle of wills between Braddock and Maggie and uh, Willie is just kind of along for the ride as an observer? I, I mean, maybe because Willie seemed to be the whole time seemed seemed to just be along for the ride. Yeah, yeah I definitely added in my notes too. Like he was the passenger; he was just kind of riding along. He didn't. He he was literally along for the ride in this case. Yeah, he's like an observer. He like he'd come in and he'd have things here and there, but he never tried to you know disrupt things too much or you know. He genuinely did not seem interested in trying to escape his fate at any yeah. point. No, and like you pointed out, like she's the only one who's like actively trying to escape. Like she had a lot more life to live. She's young, you know. Willie, he's just like he's accepted his fate. So maybe this movie is about you know, about living versus dying. And yeah, Braddock. Well, I will say Braddock, his character, he seemed very uh, weary in terms of just not loving life in general. Yeah. I said my scene, my, my favorite scene was the waterfall scene. How about you guys? Did you have a particular scene or something that stuck out to you as uh, kind of the best part of the movie? I think the safe house with the uh, with Harry. I thought that was a really good. Like from start to finish, you weren't quite sure. You still weren't quite sure what the movie uh, kind of mood was, like how serious it was, how comedic, just with like the the Spanish kidnappers uh, were just kind of goofy. And then like, okay, is it a serious one? Um, and then just that whole, the way the whole uh, safe house scene played out, I thought was like really well done. Even with uh, Harry being, he was kind of goofy and kind of funny. And like, until his girlfriend came back in, you didn't realize, okay, this didn't get serious. You thought at that point it could be kind of more of a fun, a little bit lighter. But at the end of that scene, you're like, okay, this is, these guys definitely mean business. It's not, it's not Midnight Run. <laughs> it's not Midnight Run. <laughs> How about yeah, you, Colin? I, I, I agree with Marcus. I, I really like the, um, the scene with Harry. Both both first and second part. Yeah. I combined them all together. Um, two very different scenes because I think, yeah, the, the first part was sort of like funny and awkward and the second part was like really tense. Yeah. Um, and then couple, I, 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 even though these are, these are short scenes, I, I really liked the, loved the courtroom scene and, um, and the way that ended with the um, we'll meet again and then uh, the kidnapping just because the those little Spanish gangsters were just like such bumbling idiots. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we might be at the end unless you guys have anything else. Oh, um, any interesting research or did you guys, uh, I did, I did not find much in the way of research about this movie. So Colin, it sounds like you did a little bit, anything of interest or Sam? <laughs> uh, the only thing I found out was that uh, Wes Anderson ranks this as his fifth best British film. Oh, interesting. And what are the what are the top four? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't I didn't see too much. I read a review is kind of well received by the Ebert didn't even review it. Uh, there's a lady from Sheila Benson from the L.A. Times had a nice review about it, but it wasn't very quiet. I would say. Well, I guess the question is, would you recommend this? And if you would or would not, why? 
I would recommend it. It's a good movie, I think. I don't know. I wouldn't say go out of the way to watch it, but it's definitely, uh, if someone was looking to say like, oh, should I watch this or not? I definitely thought it was a good movie, good performances. It was a good pick. Colin? Yeah, I definitely recommend it. It's just a good movie. This this is a movie that, that reminds me of like independent film, like in the like late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would recommend it uh, specifically for the performances. I, I think the performances of the three uh, male leads in particular are all really strong, fun to watch. They all have very, they do a lot of character development in terms of quirks and just the what they're saying, their speech patterns. Um, in, in the case of uh, John Hurt, what he's not saying. Uh, so I think it's, um, all that I think is, is tons of fun. I think, I think visually, I think it's a cool looking movie. Um, I think some of the, the visuals when they're outdoors of the, you know, the vistas and all that are, they look pretty good. And uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's not, there's not a ton to it. I think uh, what this movie makes me interested in doing is going and finding a couple other uh, Terrence Stamp movies from earlier in his life, because I, I don't really have a, I don't know that I've seen many, you know, Terrence Stamp movies from the 60s or 70s. Um, so my main association with him is probably General Zod on. So, um, but but based on this performance, I would definitely be interested in seeing him and other stuff. So I definitely would recommend seeing it. And this is not a movie I would rewatch that often, for sure. Uh, I think, so I think it's, you know, probably a one and done or, you know, maybe at some point years down the road. How about in 20 years? I was going to say, so based on... <laughs> Put Colin, it on your schedule. Based on Colin's footloose cadence of every 20 years, I would say this is more like every 23 years, somewhere around there. So you might want to see footloose a little bit more often than this film. I I'd don't step know. it up. Maybe every 15. Every 15? Yeah. Well, I think we have hit the hit. <laughs> good choice on the hit, Colin. It was an yeah. enjoyable movie. It was good. I will have to uh, scout ahead for 85 to... Uh, see what we might be interested in watching. Okay, well, I think this puts our 1984 homework assignment in the books. So this is the Real DMC Podcast, signing off. See you guys later. Cheers. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> wow, and it wasn't even two hours.